Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. I played soccer when I was a kid before going to high school, and the coach always wanted me to kick field goals because nobody else could kick field goals. I played soccer before I played football, and I made a kick against WJ to win the game. Now, it takes a lot to get the ball down the field. It takes a lot. It takes a, a guy who snaps the ball, holds the ball. Steve Mead was the holder, and we made the kick. It's a team effort, not an individual pursuit. So uh, I appreciate Scott Buckhanson saying that I was a good kicker, but I really wasn't that good. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. I don't know. Better than most, I would say. <laughs> That's what I, I would mean, say. He kicked for his high school team, and he beat his arch rival with a kick. Come on, Sansy. <laughs> Take a little credit. Um, so I got a couple of emails to read to begin with uh, for the show. This comes from Ashley Keeks. My name is Master Sergeant Ashley Keeks. I'm a member of the United States Air Force Band in Washington, D.C. One of our brass quintets, for those of you who don't know what a quintet is, it's five. Quintet, not a quartet. One of our brass quintets is available to perform musical tributes in honor of Memorial Day. Please see the attached press release for details. Thank you for consideration. Please let me know if you have any questions or require additional information. This was presented to me as if they would come to the house. Is that, would they come to the house? Oh, I think they were thinking that we, we might actually be in a studio somewhere or something like that. It's very nice. It is very nice. It's very nice. I, I would be... Set them up in the backyard like Roy Battelle? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it would be great. I, I, I think I'd feel a little awkward, to be honest. I think I'd feel a little awkward. Sure. And plus, I'm doing PTI that day, so I'd feel a little awkward. But it's very nice of Master Sergeant Ashley Keeks. And if other people want to avail themselves of, of this, they should do it. I got one other email that I thought I would read. I'm just going to read it verbatim. Hello, Mr. Tony. My name is Eli Cruikshank. You might remember me. I'm the teenager who wrote in during the famous people from your hometown email phase and said that I will be the famous person from my small island hometown. Well, I have a question for you. Is there any possibly, it just doesn't say possibility. I'm reading it verbatim. Mm -hmm. Is there any possibly of me, Eli, I think you got the wrong word there, me being able to get a guest spot on this esteemed podcast. The dog days of summer when there's not much going on is when I was thinking would be a good time. I have a passion for sports and I'm able to talk about anything under the sun in the world of sports. Now, I understand this is a bold thing to be asking of you, but let me tell you a few things about me that might convince you to give me a shot. Except he says, shoot, to give me a shoot. You know, Eli, you got to proofread You got to proofread this. Take your shoot, yeah. I've been accepted into Toronto Metropolitan University Sports Media Program for fall 2022, and that program only accepts 20 applicants per year. I also make sports TikTok videos about sports. (laughs) I don't even know what TikTok is. (laughs) I also have had the one and only Mike Wilbon give me a phone call to give me advice about the sports media world. I'm prepared to attach my resume and cover letter if you would like. And he gives, gives me his phone number. Thank you for any consideration you give this. Now, I'm not going to do it, Eli. I like that you, you know, I, I like that you wrote this. I wish you had proofread it. I think that's lesson number one. Never hit the button on something when the, at least two words you have in there are the wrong words, which as a proofreader you would have seen or hand it out to someone else and say, Mom, Dad, Billy, Eddie, should I send this? You know, but no, no, because I don't want to talk to you about sports. I will campaign I for Eli Crookshank all summer long. Okay. The summer of Eli. So we will, let's hold this. Yes. In case Michael convinces me we should do this. <laughs> also, God, I got this. I got a book. Somebody sent me a book. Not just somebody, Dr. Todd Green. He writes, I'm a huge fan of PTI. However, I've often felt bad for you these last three years being stuck in your attic. I decided to send you some reading material to make the time up there go faster. This book isn't about sports per se, but the best of sports often brings out spiritual chivalry. And he gives us an example, Nick Foles in the Super Bowl, Willis Reed in Game 7, 1970, etc. Best wishes, Todd Green. It's a book called The Discovery of Spiritual Chivalry. And I've got to be honest about this. I mean, I know what chivalry is. Spiritual chivalry, I could take a couple of guesses. But this is above my head. This is right, Michael. Yeah. This is I'm not this is above me. So but thank you, Todd. I will it's a very talk nice. to Todd Green. I'm gonna keep that. Yeah, you're sure. entering Chaucer t- uh, Chaucer territory for dad. That's that's what I think. And I got this from Paul Scoriels in Covington, Louisiana. Dear Mr. Tony, in clothes, please find a tie. A pair of socks, unworn, what were people thinking? And a sleeve of Titleist golf balls from St. Paul School in Covington, Louisiana. I teach civics government, and I am the assistant golf coach here at St. Paul's. 
Tanner Rainey graduated from St. Paul's in 2011. Yes, that Tanner Rainey. Wait, I add parenthetically. The one who can't make a save because he loads the bases with walks? Because although his stuff is lively and jumping around, it jumps around a little too much and he gives up everything. Had the pleasure of meeting you guys at Chatter back in 2018. Enjoyed the swag. Thanks for all the great laughs over the years. Now, I will be able to use the golf balls. The socks are a little much for me. I'm not going to use the socks. Are they gold toe? They say St. Paul's on them. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. And they're That's nice. nice. Sock you want puppets? them? Uh, I'm, I'm good. Those are nice socks, though. Give them the nice. It's a mid-calf. But I like the tie. That's and a I'm going to wear oh, this tie on, on PTI. That is a nice I tie. I like this tie, so yeah. thank you for that. Well done. Let me get into the show a little bit. I, got a, I have a confession to make that's awful for me. It's just awful. I love the Triple Crown. I do. That's appointment viewing for me. Even though uh, Rich Strike wasn't in the Triple Crown, I felt Epicenter was going to win like Andy did. I wanted to. I always watch. I think NBC does a great job with the Triple Crown. Yes. I stone cold forgot. I had arrived home. I had driven back home from Delaware. I had arrived home in time. I went right to the PGA. I did not remember the Preakness was on. I, I can't. It's the first time in a real long time. Now, I've missed Belmonts. Because by the Belmont, I've said, okay, I've lost interest. But I don't. Did you watch? Same thing happened in our house. We drove earlier than you. Yeah. We have the PJ on in the background, and you start to go back to NBC, but with all the pre-race, the pre-run uh, you know, footage, it's great. But then we went back at 7.30 and missed it by 20 minutes. I missed it. Yeah. I missed it. Did you miss it? I did. Uh, missed to it. You. And I like the production of it. I do. I, I don't tune in for all the preamble to it, but I like to get I a Tune good, in for an hour. Yeah. Uh, maybe half an hour, 45 minutes. Mm. And then I looked up at 8 o'clock, looked at ESPN, and I was like... Oh, that's right. I missed it. It was... Uh, I missed it, too. To be fair, every race I have to look up, when does this actually start? <laughs> right. Yes. So I missed that. Oh, they're starting these things hour or two hours later than they used to. Yeah. Honestly, they used to start at 510, and it's much later than that because of the advent of television. Uh, uh, have we thanked Dave Spector from Bells Up? I don't we think have we three have. wineries. We, we've we, mentioned the, the 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 recent box of that, but right. you, you've not read his email or the the note that I. No, I did not. You. I did not read it. Um, but we they, there's three wineries we recommend. Bell's Up is one of them in Willamette Valley, um, Oregon. Willamette, damn it, um, the Willamette Valley winery itself with Duska Jensen, the ambassador of wine. Mm-hmm. Madam Ambassador, <laughs> and Wenslau, um, Wenslau Vineyards in California. Those are the three that we recommend. Anyway. Now we need to get your friend's son a bottle of the Candide. Your high school friend from yeah, the yeah, 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 the yeah. Candide. Yeah. And I believe you tried the... Uh, the that was Steve Pearsall's son, yeah. A week ago. Stephen Pearsall's son. Um, okay. I, I played golf with Saliza for a few days out in um, Delaware. Had a very nice time. Enjoyed it very much. He's a terrible player. He knows he's a terrible player. I'm a terrible player. So we were no threat to win, and we didn't win. <laughs> we came in, in a group of six, we came in fourth. In the, worst, uh, in the worst grouping, because we had the highest handicaps, we came in fourth. But had, had some fun. Ended up playing, and I was really surprised about this. Some of the people in our group were very young, like in their 30s, and you go, whoa. And they're hitting it 300 yards in the air. Okay, they can't control it, but it's an enormous advantage to hit it. 300 yards in the air. Anyway, so I had, I had a good time doing that. Um, somebody is also sending me poppies, not actual poppies, but ceramic poppies. I've gotten two deliveries to my house of these poppies. For Remembrance Day. Yeah, I mean, thanks, but enough. You know, honestly, <laughs> enough. I'm not, I don't go up and down the block like the Pied Piper handing out poppies. Thank you. But I think that's enough. Do you hear that? Do you yeah, that? what is That's that? a woodpecker. Oh, yeah, we have woodpeckers at our house. I don't like this. So if you go near the woodpecker and you clap really loudly, the woodpecker will leave, which is something. Oh, is that the move? Well, yeah, that's, uh, that's worked before. Like, it's in the back. Yeah, that's it's noticeable. Yeah. yeah. That you can hear that on the mic. It sounds like one of those, uh, they drill with the pavement. Jackhammer. I don't like that. Come on, Jesse. What, what's what you do? She doesn't care about birds. <laughs> She's she doesn't care about birds. So I watched so much of the PGA. And we're going to talk about it with Chuck Culpepper and Michael Wilbon, I assume. I don't know if Wilbon watched it because of the basketball, but I think he must have watched some of it. Yesterday started out as a deadly dull day. It appeared that one of four people who had never won a tournament before, let alone a major, right? Correct. Never won a tournament before, 
One of them was going to win. There was Pereira's a guy named major ever. Mito Pereira from Chile, who I had never heard of until Saturday. I'd never heard of him. I've heard of Joaquin Neiman, but I didn't know there was another Chilean golfer. Didn't know. Mito Pereira. Didn't know. There was Matthew Fitzpatrick from England, who I know. Uh, I think he went to Northwestern, actually, for a year. Um, he's been on the Ryder Cup team. I know who he is. You know, he's a pretty good player. Yeah, he's won in Europe a number of times. He's a pretty good player. There was Cam Young, not Cam Smith. Cam Smith is the guy from Australia with the mullet. Cam Young is apparently from America. I, I was unfamiliar with his oeuvre. I was unfamiliar with yeah, that. He must not play at Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. He's his, his the pro there? His dad is. Yeah. And Will Zalatoris, who is a rising star. Who is, uh, uh, Michael, you think he's a great striker of the boys, not a good putter. He makes you nervous with anything inside of four feet, but he totally leaned into the happy Gilmore's caddy comparisons at uh, one of the recent Masters, and I think he's gained a lot of casual fans for just that. But uh, the most exciting it's thing... about 6'1", 120. In the first two hours of the coverage, he has to take a, a an unplayable lie, and it takes yeah, 15 number minutes six. to figure out how to drop it onto a cart pavement where he's playing off of a seam, and he actually gets it up and down. It's excruciating to watch, and it made the leaders wait, and that, you know, basically a full hole, and that just set up the afternoon. Um, go ahead. He made the putt of his life on... on Either 17 or 18, a par save. Par about save 12 on uh, 18. Yeah. Or else he's not in the playoff. Or else Justin Thomas wins outright. Because, and for you people who are students of golf who remember this about 20, 30 years ago, whenever it was, Mito Pereira pulled to Jean Vandervelt. Now, it wasn't as terrible because he didn't have a three-shot lead, and he didn't take his roll up his pants <laughs> and go into the water. He but did he not hit play it, from the creek. He hit a tee shot into the water. Yeah. And then he got six. And so he was out. And if Zalatoris doesn't make that putt, Justin Thomas, who finished about 45 minutes before, yep. is going to win outright. Now, I'm thrilled. I would have been thrilled if Cam Young, for what Michael said, his, that his dad's a golf pro. He's teaching golf pro. Justin Thomas, this is his second major, second PGA. The PGA is the least of the majors. There is no argument about this. It's the least of the majors. You argue the other three. Don't argue this. It's the least of the majors. It's like the Australian Open in tennis. It's the least of them. And everybody knows this. Everybody knows this. But what a delight it is that Justin Thomas's dad, Mike Thomas, who's I think a friend of Bob Dolan's, I think they're pals, he's a teaching pro. He's a club pro. It's what he does for a living. This is what Justin Thomas was, was born into. So if you ask Justin Thomas... For honesty, as to what major he'd like to win, I'm expecting him to say this. Well, everybody wants to win the Masters. But after that, for me, it would be the PGA because it honors my father and my grandfather, who was also a club pro. And I just, am I right on this? Totally right on this. And for a great player, a household name, a guy who's been number one, you have to win your second major to become a a PGA specialist for now. Totally fine given his background. And you look at his dad as they're starting that playoff. To see his dad sort of 50 yards up, it looked like every scene that you've seen at any junior amateur golf tournament around. It It was completely lovely. And Justin Thomas at the end gave credit to all the right people. Number one, his caddy. Bones. Big Jim decision. Bones Mackay, who he said got me off the mat on Saturday night. I was feeling depressed, and he gave me the talk he had to. And they even asked his dad about that. And his dad said, I could have given him that talk, but he would have resented it from me. But it was great that Bones did that. So it, was, it ended up being a heartwarming story, but you had to suffer through five hours of junk <laughs> because you could not relate to the four kids in the lead. Yeah, you, when it started, you looked at it saying, if this guy shoots close to par, he will win in a runaway. And if you looked at the middle of the round, he had to make a bunch of mid-range par putts, which he did. But you could have seen he made a was, great par save on seventeen. All week long, he was playing these beautiful exit left, hold off iron shots. The driver swing on eighteen. A lot of people are going to question why in the second seventy second yes. hole of a major with a one shot lead, you're not pulling out something shorter. But again, that's a five hundred twenty eight yard par four, the hardest hole on the course. So you can understand that doesn't necessarily guarantee even the bogey if you pull out something a little bit uh, short of driver but such a quick swing and you know where you're taking the drop from the penalty area it's it's really hard to make the five from there and he did not and all four of those kids were over par yesterday so this was a tournament not that justin thomas won though he wins it it was that four people lost because they let him back in because he started the day minus two 
And they started the day minus nine, minus seven, minus six. And he six. got to eight back when uh, you saw some leaderboard shifts and he had a couple of early bogeys. Yeah. But you forget, he had a great Thursday, Friday of the tournament, and he sort of thought the draw um, sort of hurt him, which he didn't get the 36 yeah. 0 lead. So we will talk about that at length with Chuck Culpepper and to some degree, I think, with Michael Wilbon when we return. I am Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by our friend Tim Wildsmith from Nashville. And he writes, this is a song called Spaceman. And he writes, you're listening to a brand new song I've just released called Spaceman. And I can only hope that Noah from NASA gets this song to Farmer Hines so that I can say a real-life spaceman listened to a song called Spaceman While in Space. I woke up one morning with the first two lines of the song in my head and the rest of it just poured out of me when I sat down on my piano. Please tell the fellow Littles they can find Spaceman wherever they listen to music these days and I'd love to know what they think of the final verse. The final verse you'll be able to hear at the end of the podcast because we don't do that now. But that's pretty cool. That is cool. We hope Farmer Hines, in fact, hears it in space. Plays in Michael Wilbon. Let us start with the basketball. You are in Boston. So I will start with that series because that at least looks like a series. And the other one really does look like it's over already, which I think comes as no surprise to anybody. But we'll get into that. You, Mike, when, when the first two games were played in Miami and they were split, you had the sense that Boston might win quickly, might win in as well, few as five games. Yeah, and I, I tried to talk yeah. you off that ledge by saying that yeah. Boston loses games at home and that Miami's not a quitting dog team. So what do you no, think of the not. series? Yeah. Uh, well, Miami has an advantage right now, but we don't know. Health is a really huge part of this series. Jimmy Butler did not play the second half. Right. Uh, as I, think, I think Miami tried to protect him and them by saying – Okay, no second half because we had a 15-point lead and we can win this game and, 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 and stash you. And it turns out they did, even though Boston got within a point and it looked like they had all the momentum and was going to come back from a 26-point deficit and win. But Jimmy Butler, it says he says yesterday, tells reporters he's going to play. Um, Kyle Lowry played a, you know, he played a lot. He came and played the big minutes uh, in the fourth quarter in game uh, three. So, but we don't know what their situation is, how effective they're going to be tonight in game four. And on the other side, you know, Jason Tatum had to go out of the game. Marcus Smart had to go out of the game. That's right. That's right. And Boston's not going to win anything if they are reduced. So I, I think Miami's got an advantage right now, Tony. And we're going to see... Uh, you know, tonight's huge. I mean, Boston's not coming back from a 3-1 down if they lose this game with two of the final three in Miami, I don't think. So this is this is huge. And Boston has nobody but itself to blame. They, they, they came out and they didn't get off to a good start. They were lethargic at the start of the game. It's 24-7. Yes, they didn't, you know, they didn't, they didn't play the start of the game. And, um... So I, I, I don't know what I don't know what to expect tonight. I gotta see who's gonna line up and who's gonna look like they've got relative health. All things being equal, I think Boston is a better team. Not by a lot, yeah. but by a little, all things being equal. But I don't know and I agree with you, this has to do with the severity of the injuries. One thing we have seen over the course of these playoffs is that Boston with their backs to the wall can and will win. Miami hasn't been in that position yet, so we don't know, right? We don't know. We, we, we don't. We don't. And Boston has done that. I, I Look, I expect the Celtics to win maybe even big tonight. That's what I expect. But I expected them to win. The other night, you know, we have to pick these games right as we're going to the tip-off on our countdown show. 
And I said, I expect Miami to be tougher. I expect Miami to play with grit. I expect Bam, Bam out of bio to have a huge game. He did. I said, I expect all of that, but I'm going to pick Boston to win this game. And when Boston got it to one with 2.30 to go, after being down 26, and Jimmy Butler's not on the floor, I said, okay, if Boston wins this game, it's going to swing the series. Miami's yes. not going to come back. From that. That's right. You're right. Uh, but they couldn't, you know, Boston couldn't cash it. So it's got some drama. It's got lots of high-level play. It's got, you know, contention and intensity. It's got what you'd expect from the Celtics, one of the two, you know, most important franchises in basketball, and a team still led by Pat Riley. So it's got, it's got all of that, and uh, it's very entertaining. I like Miami as a team. I've always liked them, and I point this out to people when they are dismissive of Miami, that not only did Miami win the East this year, Boston may look better, but they haven't won. Miami has shown you that when push comes to shove, they can actually win. Yeah, and, and, and this group has done that. They got to the finals with Jimmy Butler leading the way two years ago. That's right. So, That's right. yeah, they have. And, and, and Boston, Tony, has failed. They have failed. Yes. Not, I know they're young, and it's not complete. But they, you know, they had a game seven. Jalen Brown was on that team. Marcus Smart was on that team. Uh, Al Horford was not, and and Jason Tatum might have been a rookie, but they lost the, they lost the game seven at home in the in the conference finals to LeBron. And you could say, well, wait a minute, they lost to LeBron. All right, but mm-hmm. you know that they they have they have been in big moments and not gotten it done. And this is supposed to be the time where they had the best record in basketball the last forty games, the best record, not Golden State, not Phoenix, Boston, the last forty. And so this is, this is their time to get this done. They went into the playoffs without Robert Williams, but they, but they had him. Now he, Tony, he did not play in game three. I, I expect him to play tonight, but part of the problem is they think he's tried to come back too quickly and has aggravated that knee. So we don't know what his status is either, yeah. not yet. Let's go to the other series, which is a non-series at the moment. Yeah. Uh, it, that's 3-0, and... And Golden State's going to have two more games at home if they need them. And that's already 3-0. And I, you know, you want to explain what your thoughts about that? Yeah, well, they're better. Dallas isn't as good. Dallas isn't good enough. And Dallas isn't even supposed to be in this position. The Phoenix Suns are supposed to be in this position in a real series, a real tight series. So, you know, those were the equals coming into this playoff. You know, Phoenix and Golden, and Golden State. And so... You know, when, when, when the Suns inexplicably just died, just died, um, the, the, the Dallas Mavericks were a year ahead of time. And so we see that occasionally. You know, we saw that going back to Michael Jordan's Bulls, where they got in maybe a year earlier than people thought, and they, they, they couldn't deal with Detroit. We see that occasionally. The Dallas Mavericks have to have more players. They yes. don't have enough and players. They're, they're not, not as good, good a team. Enough. They have a great no. player. But the rest of their team is not good enough. And the other team and, happens to be, over the last six to eight years, the right, best the team, team in basketball. That's right. Yeah. And so, so yeah. we heard Luka Doncic say last night, sort of plead his case, because I think he was being criticized. I'm like, there's no criticism. There's none that's worthy of Luka Doncic. And he said, look, I'm 22 years old. I, I, don't, I haven't done this yet. This is not the end. This is the beginning. And that, that is absolutely right. In any discussion we have, we have some on PTI about the Dallas Mavericks has to start there. This this guy's just, I mean, he's not as young as Magic was, but there's only one Magic. That's right. And Bird, even though Bird was in his second year, Bird was like 25 years old. Bird, That's right. Bird had five years at Indiana State. He transferred from Indiana and it was working. It was a grown man. You know, look at Don, mm-hmm. just I think 23. But he's a grown man. He's been a pro since he's 15. He yeah, knows what he's, he's doing. Not, he's not ready for this. He knows what he's doing, but he's not ready to well, take on well, he the doesn't have, State Warriors by himself. He doesn't have, right, he doesn't have enough squad around him. He no, doesn't. he does not. He does not. And so, this, and Jason Kidd said the same thing. He said, hey, you know, I'm impressed with what Dallas has done. And they're, again, they're a year early, and they were going to get tattooed, and they're getting tattooed. And they were not going to beat, they were not going to go in 
and just sort of bullied Draymond Green and, and Clay Thompson. It doesn't Steph work Curry. that way. They, no. And no, it doesn't. It wasn't their time. And so that series is going to be fun. over. And, and Golden yeah. State may throw them one. Golden State will throw away a game. They just do. They That's hear fun. the sweet Georgia Brown music in their heads, and they just throw away a game. That's right. And, and Dallas could get one, but that's all they're going to get if they get that. All right, so you did not watch the PGA all weekend, but you do know that Tiger withdrew. Yes. Uh, yes after I the third. I watched a little bit, Tone. I, I, you know, we had, you know, we're, the, that the drama of the PGA plays out until 7 p.m. in the summer like this. And, you know, around 5 o'clock, you know, we got to be in the yeah. arena ready to go. Yeah, I understand. And so I saw some of the early round stuff earlier in the day. And then last night, after three flights in three days, I was dead. And I was sitting in front of the TV. I knew it was coming to a head. Um, I, I wanted to see Justin Thomas because I, I really like him. And the next thing I knew, it was 9 p.m. and I had slept mm-hmm. through, <laughs> through, the, through the playoffs. And so, yeah, I didn't know. There was no watching that for me last night, and I'll have to catch it somehow. Uh, I got direct TV in my hotel suite here, too, in Boston, but they don't have the Golf Channel, which is insane. So I, I, could, did, I, I could not see the golf. I've, I'll say this again. I said it last week. That live from show, when they wrap it up and they sit down yeah. and they talk about what, that's a great golf show. That's yeah. a great show, and there's... They go on for forever, and it, you know you watch it. It's really it's quite good. So, well, let me get to the tiger part because you were right on this. I was wrong on this. I was talking about progress for Tiger from the Masters, and I don't see that he made any particular progress. And then he withdrew. What are your thoughts on him withdrawing, not playing the last round? He's in pain. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't I didn't understand why he was playing the PGA. I understood. I was surprised, though I understood playing the Masters, playing Augusta. Yes, yes. Which has to be the most special thing in his life. I, I get that. I didn't understand playing the PGA. I know what it's like. First of all, the first day in Tulsa was brutal. It's Tulsa in essentially the beginning of June. It's awful. And people can say well, it was a flat course. I don't care. He's got. He's playing on one leg. So I didn't, I didn't understand this. I thought it was ill-advised. I, I surprised that someone couldn't talk him out of it and maybe play St. Andrews, speaking of flat, yeah. maybe play St. Andrews where it could be in the 60s every day. I didn't get it. And so I just felt bad for him that that's a grueling torture chamber to go out and play in Tulsa in late May. And so, no, I'm not surprised. I, I look. I didn't. I didn't think he could successfully play the Masters. He did. He made the cut. And he made the cut here. Yes, he did. Which speaks to a certain will and, and obviously his prodigious talent. But I was in the arena um, when somebody, I think, just a fan, said, "Will Bond, did you just see that Tiger withdrew?" And I said, "No, I, I you know, I can't see that. We're getting ready to go on the air." Um, and I was. That made me sad. But you don't, you don't walk off the street and contend in golf. You don't. And so Tiger can do this, and there's a certain heroism about it, but it doesn't mean he's going to win because he's not. He's not. These other people are in the prime of their lives, and they're fit. Not just capable of walking. They're fit. So no, he's not going to beat Colin Morikawa, and he's not going to beat Justin Thomas, and he's not going to beat – no. And so I, he can do this again at the British Open, and I'm going to say the same thing. No, he's not going to contend. Yeah, it was and nice. Nice. I'll tell you this. He, he tweeted out. He, he loves Justin Thomas. Yeah. He, they, they play together all the time. He loves Justin Thomas. And you could tell that in his public utterances after the tournament congratulating Justin Thomas. And Tiger was very standoffish. As a young player, Tiger beat everybody's brains out and had nothing to do with them and was not, you know, not a welcoming guy. But now in his old age for a golfer, he's pals with the younger guys. And he, he, you've seen that, Mike. He roots for them. He, I mean, he roots well, for Tony, himself, he, but Tony, he likes he, them. He wasn't, but he wasn't welcomed. He wasn't welcomed. He wasn't welcomed by, and I'm going to say this advisedly, a bunch of old white guys from a previous 
place in life who did not want him. There were some who did. There were the Jim Furyks and whoever. Most of them, they didn't want him. Fuzzy Zeller, they, they, they didn't want Tiger Woods. Mm, they didn't want so this great. young brother rolling out there at so 19, great. 20 years old. It's just the greatest so, 10 years of any athlete. That's right. That's right. But it's, he it's had like, to beat them yeah. just to gain their respect. Like people, be welcome. People talk about, I'll get off this soapbox in a second, but people talk about the first 10 years of Albert Pujols' career. And they were astonishing in St. Louis. They were Babe they were. Ruthian. Yeah. But nobody thinks Ty- Albert Pujols is the greatest player ever lived. Tiger no. Woods' first 10 years were, hello, this is the greatest player who ever lived. There's That's only right. one guy that you can throw out there. There's only one, Jack Nicklaus. That's all That's there right. is. Right? And, 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 but, That's but it. Yes. But yes. Yeah. And, he, and he did that through clinched oh. Steve. Yes, he did. I, mean, I know right. Tiger a little right. bit. We've had we Tiger. We've had these discussions. He did it through clenched teeth. He did it despite straight up open resentment, like an open wound. So to hell with them. Now they're gone. They're gone. Those guys are in their sixties and seventies. They're gone. And some of them, I guess, somewhere in their fifties. And yes. they're 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 out of there. And so Tiger now is welcoming, yes, he's in his old age and he's mellowed to some degree, but he's also welcoming people who idolized him. They did. They grew up wearing red and wearing Nike shoes and wearing the stuff that he pushed. So those guys grew up saying, Mr. Woods, you're my idol. Can I play around with you? That's not what he encountered on the tour when he got there. So, yeah, it's, it's natural that he embrace them and, and, and love them and have a certain respect. And first of all, Tony knows them. He knows them. And, and so good. But that's not what he encountered when he got there. And so if Tiger was standoff, first of all, that, that seems, from what I know of him, and again, I know Tiger a little bit. I've been around him. He, you know, that's probably who he is anyway. This is but what I was going to say. Let, let's, let's, let's look at all of it. Tiger Woods understood that he was fueled by anger, much like Michael Jordan. They are the same person. And so when this thing set up that way, Tiger Woods said, okay, I'll do it this way, and it'll make yeah. me better. I mean, there's, you know, yeah. it, it didn't happen to Tiger alone. Tiger was part of it because he knew that that would make him better. Well, no, I, is. no, we're going to disagree fundamentally there. No, Tiger didn't do that because. Because Tiger couldn't know what that was going to be. Tiger got that. That's what we'll put in his face, like a lot of us. Okay, and so Tiger, but but he you know, used it. You know, he turned it around yes, he, and used yes. it. Yes. He turned it. I know what it was like for me to walk into a press box when I was 21 years old in 1980. There were people, and I won't name them, even though we know them, who didn't want me there. So I didn't go in there thinking, I'll use this. I was yeah. greeted with that. And I, I, didn't, I, I didn't want you there either. So, yeah, <laughs> luckily, I know you did, and you, and you wanted a lot of us there. And so that... I didn't even know, want Tiger, to be there. Actually, I said, well, can Wilbon do this event? Because I just... You wanted I, to be in an attic, even in 1980. <laughs> All right, I'll talk but, to you, you later. No, but that was... That, that's, that's, you know, I, just to, to wrap, to put a point on this for me, I, I like seeing this Tiger too. Yeah. I like seeing this guy. I'm not going to say he wasn't cantankerous as a young guy, because he was. But for all the people who wanted to, you know, who had resentment and didn't want him there because he didn't look like them and didn't vote like them, he probably did. Yeah, he voted and just like them. You know, he, he, they, who, who got the best of that? Who won I'm, that argument? I'm sure that like every other golfer, Tiger believes he should not have to pay income tax. They yeah. all believe this. All of them. Amazingly. It's just, when and you say to them, wait, this is income. Well, we don't have contracts. Well, it's not contracts. Yes, it's yeah. income. It's not contract tax. It's yeah. income tax. All right, I'll and see people, you later. Yeah. All right, Tom. Goodbye. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. We'll come back with Chuck Culpepper. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a 
happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Matthew Schell, who writes, Have you been? Please may I share with you a new song of mine for you to consider for the show. It's my next single, Sweet Dreams. It will appear on my upcoming album, Elemental. Sweet Dreams is a chill but modern jazz instrumental track that represents a deep connection loved ones seek when trying to reach a deeper level of intimacy. Musically, this is one of my and Grammy nominee Aaron Shinoy's most experimental releases, fusing chill electronic sounds with live jazz instrumentation. The track features Billboard chart-topping jazz pianist Marcus Johnson, who he's played with since 2007, jazz sax player Marcus Mitchell, and co-producer Angie Nicole. Oh, that's very, very nice. It's very nice, isn't it? It's lovely. Michael, if people like Matthew Shell want to send in their original music, how do they do it? Gotta change my voice for this one. Please send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. I, I have to say this. There's no lyrics to this. Right. So when people tell me what it's about and what it represents, it represents that in their heads. Not in mine, because I need words. I'm a words guy. And here's another words guy. Chuck Culpepper did such a great job um, at, at the PGA, which... And I wrote these questions down yesterday, because I knew you were going to be on the show. I wrote these down before we got to the end of the PGA, which changed everything. Because the PGA started out, Sunday started out as the just the death march because you know it's hard to relate to four young kids who'd never won anything before who you don't in, in fact in the case of Pereira when I say I don't know him at all I'd never heard of him until Saturday so I really didn't know him so to me the lead story it, you know if you were in space and you look down at the PGA until the playoff Chuck the lead story was Tiger Woods withdrawing and you had written a big Tiger story on Saturday and I don't you know, I read that online before Tiger withdrew. When did you learn Tiger withdrew? Oh, it, uh, let's see, around quarter to eight in the evening. So yeah, right after the story had been published, maybe maybe a half an hour after. It's only another writer who understands this. It's only another writer who looks at this and goes, wow, he just got <laughs> blindsided. Look at this. Was there a reason given? Did Tiger talk publicly about it? He talked publicly, well, actually, he didn't talk publicly at all because he was, they said it was ailing so much that he didn't meet with reporters after the round, except for one pool reporter from the, from the tournament. So he, um, he answered three questions at that point, but did not appear before in the usual uh, media session. And then the statement at, in the evening, hours later, came after he'd gotten back to wherever he was staying in Tulsa, came from the uh, tournament itself, saying that he had called the tournament and said that he was withdrawing. So, yes, it meant going back in, and everybody was in there going back in in the media tent, changing all the words, you know. Yeah, tell people what that's like. You filed. You're in. That's a sidebar story. You know, now you've you, you got to do two stories, and that's one of two, and you're working on the other one at the moment, and you find this out. Tell people how that works. What do you do? Oh, you, you, you have a big, great, big bale of stress that just <laughs> pops into your head at that moment, and, yeah. and because you're, you're, you've moved on from that one. And you're going to your what's called the main story, which yep. be about the people at the top. So you've moved on from that one, and that one's done, and you're ex- excited that that one's done. And now it uh, pops back up. It just actually appeared on the uh, on the big screen in front of us, where the where the score leaderboard is, electro- electronic leaderboard, and so on. And it, the announcement appeared up there, and people started looking at it and, and then diving back into the to the stories they've already done and putting in new sentences and changing, changing words. And, and I had gosh, it's just a great big puzzle that, uh, that you realize when you finished, you, you just hope it all still makes sense. So you're sitting in a big press area with a lot of guys who are getting the news at the same time. What was, if there was a general reaction, what was that general reaction in terms of, Tiger's act in terms of 
in terms of how predictable it had been, you mean? In terms no, of no, 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 no. Did anybody say, how could he do this? I mean, was there a split reaction? Did anybody say this is bad for him? For him, uh, A lot of pros are going to say he just took a paycheck away from another pro by doing this. What, or was it, you know, uh, it's totally understandable. He's on one leg. Don't know why he was here in the first place. I think there's a, there's a whole thing going on of every, everyone and people in there are generally people who love the story. You know, the story is is paramount, the story. And this, the idea that he's doing this is such a story. I was talking to the great Dave Kindred a few weeks ago, and he was, yeah. he was just marveling at what a story it is. And I think that prevails over everything else. The idea that we will abide this and that and the other thing to get to follow this story. And it dovetails so much with who he is, you know, and how, you know, stubbornly he will, he will fight. And if there's any kind of, um, I, I don't hear any kind of disgruntlement over, over how it unfolded. I didn't hear any. Okay, that's good to know. Tiger is, and, and it's worth pointing out, I and mean, we just talked to Wilbon about Tiger for 10 minutes, but it's worth pointing out that even in his dotage as a golfer, he is so larger so larger than everybody else put together. <laughs> right, Chuck? He's it. Isn't it just an, just an unprecedented construct? There's nothing like it. There's nothing, that, I don't think, that's ever been like it. And, you know, you, I wonder sometimes about, uh, go back to Jack and Arnie, fans always felt like they knew them, you know. Uh, Tiger has, has become somewhat the same or very much the same. And I wonder about what comes next. I think of that great beer commercial from the Super Bowl that has Serena Williams in it and Peyton Manning, yeah, Jimmy yeah. Butler, Alex Morgan. And you see Brooks Kepka over by the pool table. And here's one of the best golfers ever. He's got four major titles. Probably will get more at some point. And I, I look at that commercial sometimes and I think, here's all these stars. And then I wonder how many people, casual sports fans, know who that is over by the by the pool table and so the same thing was sort of in play yesterday as well as you were saying with the kids at the top the four 20-somethings there's so many tremendous players but i wonder how familiar they are to the general public and i was standing out at the brutal number six for about an hour or two on saturday listening to people talking they didn't know who a lot of the players were you know, coming through. They knew who Rory was and, um, and maybe JT, Justin Thomas. But, you know, I, I just wonder, I've never seen a sport have a situation like this where one person is so much bigger. Oh, he's... And, um, you know, I can, I can write something about the leaders and I can write something about the guy in, you know, what was he in the Masters, 47th place or whatever place he was here. And the traffic on the ladder is bigger than the traffic sure. on the sure. former. Um, I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating at all. I had never heard of Mito Pereira. I've never heard, I knew who, I know who Joaquin Neiman is. I've never heard of this guy. And then it's, you know, and then as soon as it goes in the water at 18, you go, oh my God, it's John Vandervelt. Um, uh, it, and, and if Zalatoris doesn't, and he's not a good putter, if he doesn't make that putt on 18, Justin Thomas picks up that cup and you go, what? Who won? How did this happen? Right? I mean, it's bizarre. Right. It was bizarre. And there was something on Thomas's look when he finally finished it off with the one-footer on the third hole of the playoff. And, and he, he looked like, to me, he looked like, oh, isn't this bizarre as well? Yeah. yeah. So with the way he was laughing, kind of had that look about him. And, and you know, Pereira, it's, it's intriguing that we might remember him a lot more for, for doing what he did then or people in general might remember him a lot more for that than for winning had he won. Because think about the previous PGA uh, playoff between Keegan Bradley and Jason Dufter. You know, how many average sports fans remember that one? You know, and remember zero. that Keegan Bradley won a major. Yeah, zero you know, so, would be the answer to that. Zero. So now it's, it's Vanderbilt. Pereira's. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, this is, it's, yeah. it's on your racket, son. 
It's on your racket. You just have to par this hole. You know, it's a hard hole. I give you that. But you just all four of them were over par. This is the tournament. I'll I'll ask this instead of saying it declaratively, as I said before. It strikes me this was a tournament that was lost rather than being won. I think that's right. There's this moment where they're at nine under seven, six and six. It's about 3 p.m. Central time. And the other guys at three. The other guys at two right. or three, right? Maybe two, yes. Even two. and they they had separated themselves, the four of them, and you know you had to think the champion was going to come out of that mix. And to sit there at that point and say, well, actually the best score today is going to be five, you know that that would have been, you know, inconceivable at that moment. I think, or at least far fetched. So, yeah. yeah, they. I mean, it's understandable. All of it. They had. I think, you know, their total number of majors among them was, you know, for Pereira was two, for Zalatoris, I think it's eight. Uh, Fitzpatrick had 28, so he had the most, but very little experience and contention among the four of them. So it's kind of like you say, okay, that's what the game does, or at least that's what it used to do a lot before these 20-somethings got so good. It's just odd that it did it to all of them. Well, Justin Thomas said it a couple of times. He said, it's not that I thought I would win, but I saw the people above me, and I knew they had never won. So that's why you think you have a chance, right? I mean, he, he, but what he was saying was, let's see them hold up under the pressure. And they didn't, you know, I, to, to varying degrees. They didn't. I, I think we've come to think that people don't do that as much anymore. You know, there's that whole theme of, College golf has gotten so much better. These guys are so much more prepared. Look at the major winners across recent years. Morikawa had not contended and wins the PGA. I think we'd stop thinking that 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 was that it works like that, where you have to learn how to be in contention. And and yesterday, I think we learned again that it's like that. All right, I'll get you out of here on this. You got any hot Phil rumors? I mean, there must have been there must have been the talk of the writers. What's going to go on with Phil? You got any thoughts about when and if we will see him? I think it's a case of reclusiveness that's been pulled off pretty so successfully that I actually have no idea and had, did not speak to or listen to anyone who seemed to have any idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. It's, I mean, next, I guess we. We factor in whatever's going to happen with that that event on the other tour, and um, and uh, gosh, absolutely any outcome to that is plausible. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And what I was saying before was the PGA went to sleep last night, very happy that this kid won because his dad was a pro and his grandfather was a pro, and he's never leaving this tour. So that's the best possible outcome they could have out of this major because it takes away the Saudi tour, right? It takes away that headline for a little while at least. Right, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They, yeah, they, they got one of their, their you know, ironclad stalwarts to win yeah. it. You know, he this is a PGA through and through. By the way, that kid posed for 50,000 pictures afterwards. Every rum-dum in a, in a blazer came up and posed with that. Did you see that? Well, you were working. You didn't see it. But on the Golf Channel, it was just nonstop for, for over an hour posing for pictures. It was really I did, something. I did look up and see that on video screen a, a lot. And I was, I was struck by how, how grateful he seemed. And I wondered if a lot of that had to do with winning it in that manner rather than, you know, having some three-shot lead and hanging on to it through the day. Yeah, big win. Thank you, Chuck. You did a great job at, at the tournament. Great job. Thank you. Chuck Culpepper, so boys much. and girls. He's a ter- terrific writer. He's a terrific writer. Yes, read all, go back, read the stuff. We'll take a break. We'll have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. 
Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. I remember nothing in my life. Nothing. Uh, people say, do you remember the time? No, I don't. I don't. Even things that appear to be very important, I just simply don't remember them, and I don't remember this. I forget everything that I say, but I remembered I forgot that today. I once wrote columns with substance in wit. I can't remember any of this, I'll admit. 60s lyrics, I still recall. I know the rascals, I can still name them all. All four. But lots of things, they're getting hazy. I'm just a sucker with a bad memory. Joe Arrow is so great. He's just so great. Do you it want really to do the Bethesda Bagels ad? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com, forward a location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. That's it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say this old heart of mine been broke a thousand times. Each time you break away, I fear you're gone to stay. Lonely nights to come, memories of flow, bringing you back again, hurting me more and more. Those are the Isley Brothers. That's the great hit by the Isley Brothers. Yes. There's three of them, or maybe five of them. I don't know. Twelve? I don't know. Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon, Chuck Culpepper. Thanks to today's sponsor, Sunday. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. I think you can still get shipping in time for Memorial Day, but uh, go check out TK Trap. Uh, you can look good even off the course with those Calcutta shorts. So even if you've quit golf, like one Chris Sequiza, uh, <laughs> you'll feel great. <laughs> I was wearing Johnny O all weekend. Very, very so great. Chris wore pants on one day. Chris wore pants all three days. No shorts. No. Chris wore pants. Chris? That's Chris. From Susan Greenstein in Syracuse, New York. Many years ago on a flight from either Philly or D.C. to Tampa, I sat next to a man who was busily writing notes on a pad. I peeked over and he was writing down questions to ask various members of Philadelphia Phillies. I figured he was a sports writer going down to cover spring training in Clearwater. A few years later, I was watching ESPN and there was the man from the plane. I hadn't known it at the time, but I was sitting next to the avocado man himself, Tim Kirkchin. From Meredith Buzzy, in reference to the show where you asked to send who have you sat behind on a plane, I give you this. In 2002 at the Salt Lake Olympics, think of your Lilyhammer jacket, I rode the train with Mr. Send Me a Box of That himself, Steve Young. As a devout 49ers fan, I was enamored with him. He was integral in the planning and commission of the Salt Lake City 2002 Olympics. I was riding the rails on the way to seeing an unspecified curling match, the actual cheapest ticket you could get into an official Olympic venue. Seeing him with us peasants made the experience in Salt Lake City that much better. Best to Edith Saliza. From Kyle. We're doing famous people we've sat behind. I was at a van. I said in a plane, not just in a, an arena. But yeah, it's okay. It got very wide after. A I while. was at a Vancouver Canucks game in 2012. We managed to buy two tickets, three rows from ice level, about halfway into the offensive zone. Very inside hockey, I know. About ten minutes before puck drop, who should take the seats in front of us? Wayne Gretzky. Yes, that Wayne Gretzky. Unfortunately, that only lasted until the first intermission. The steady stream of fans coming down to take pictures with him resulted in the ushers taking him to a more private viewing area. In other news, I've started dating someone. It's going well. With any luck, we might get married. You aren't invited. <laughs> From Andy Cook in Fairfax, Virginia. I attended the same high school as Joe Billis, Jay Billis. We met once but he has no idea who I am. Go Titans. I never sat next to anyone famous on an airplane, but in the late 80s, I stood next to Mr. T at the LAX baggage claim. <laughs> Sneaky short, but huge arms, and he could have snapped me in half like a pencil, although he seemed very nice chatting with the other folks waiting for bags. He was a bouncer. That's right, he in was. In Chicago. Yeah. He was a bouncer in Chicago. Brute, big, brutish chest and all that, but yeah, 5'9", 5'10", something yeah. like that. From Sam in Austin. He says, I stage manage a pop band that's young enough you've absolutely never heard their music, but famous enough you mentioned them when they accepted their Grammy Award in their underwear a few years ago. <laughs> I fly fairly frequently, so I get upgraded for free on most of my flights. One day before I had accrued the status I now have flying from Chicago to L.A., I'm grumbling to myself for getting stuck with the plebes in 8A instead of 2F. And who do I see sitting in front of me at the gate? Spike Lee. I decided against bothering him, but definitely wanted to try and find out where he was going when all of a sudden he stood up and yelled, Jim, where are you going? Jim Brown came rolling up 
And that they sat and chatted like two old friends. Complete happenstance, they ran into each other. Both of them were just on the other side of the curtain in business class that day on my flight to LA. I understood why I didn't get my upgrade. From Papa Theam in Paris. When I was a student at the University of Pennsylvania in the early 90s, I once caught a short flight on a puddle jumper between Philadelphia and New York uh, to catch a connection for a Christmas or summer break back home in the Ivory Coast. Seated right in front of me with his legs stretched out in the aisle was none other than Sir Charles Barkley. Also around that same period of my life, I once went to a midweek early afternoon showing of the then newly released Forrest Gump movie in a downtown Philadelphia theater. I was an avid moviegoer and those were the best times to avoid crowds. Probably five of us at most in the theater. When I got up, turned around at the end of the movie after lights came on, my eyes clearly recognized Pat Riley, even though my brain couldn't make sense of how that could be. I found out on SportsCenter later that night that the New York Knicks had played the Sixers at the Spectrum a few hours after the movie. Man, I have a feeling you're going to get tired of this game pretty quickly. <laughs> I mean, they're people. They go out. They travel. They run into us. From Allen in Falmouth, not far enough away from Revere. Sat next to Joe DiMaggio on a flight in the early 90s. Do I win? You're close. That's pretty good. From Michael Holitsky. On the day I received my Revolution 2 toaster, I listened to the pod and heard Joe Arrow sing the Cheers 2 toaster jingle. I knew I had to email and then get into the new game, when you, who you sat near. I got that. The 1998 New Year's Eve Blackhawks game in Wilbon's Midwest City, I sat centerized behind Joan Cusack, John Cusack, and Nev Campbell, Michael Holitsky, Little, and Chicago police officer. Next time Wilbon's in Chicago, just run him in. Just arrest <laughs> right. him if you can. Just pick him up. Yeah. From Tim in Alexandria. Okay, who you got? While I've never sat on a plane near someone famous, I did sit behind Pierce Brosnan and his son at a movie theater 20 years ago. We were at the Swiss Cottage Odeon in North London watching Star Wars, Attack of the Clones, and Mr. Brosnan was still Bond. James Bond at the time was the best part of the movie. <laughs> From uh, Steve Petrie. Back in the late 90s, I flew next to Henry Lewis Hank Stram on a red-eye flight from San Diego to Fort Lauderdale. Hank had just finished calling a San Diego Chargers game for Westwood Radio. He was headed to Miami for a Monday night football game when the Dolphins were still allowed on Monday night football. <laughs> Hank was one of the last to board and sat down next to me in the very first row. I had many upgrades on Delta back then. Wow. I was preparing to sleep from the moment the door closed until we touched down in Fort Lauderdale, but to my surprise, he had other ideas. He talked my ear off for four hours. Hank asked me everything he could about my boring job. I wasn't a boring professor back then, background, family, etc. He seemed truly interested in me. I have no idea why. Given the opportunity, I asked some questions of him as well, which he was more than happy to answer. As a Dolphins fan, I had to ask him about the famous Christmas Day Kansas City Chiefs-Miami Dolphins playoff game from 1971. Even though that game was played over 25 years prior to our meeting, I could still sense the pain the loss had left him with. My wife picked me up at the airport, and when I told her my exciting adventure, all she could say was, Hank who? Steve Petrie, <laughs> University of Denver. Let's do one more or so. Maybe one or two. Joe Shannon in Catonsville, Maryland. About 10 years ago, a buddy and I are sitting behind home plate at a nose game at Camden Yards. Bottom of the third, he elbows me in the ribs. Hey, there's Wonder Woman. Sure enough, in the section to our right, Linda Carter. Yeah, that Linda Carter. Blue jeans, boots, a white button-down shirt. Is it wrong? I still remember what she was wearing. Stunning. She left abruptly in the fifth. Lasso of truth, baby. Lasso of truth. 94 MLB All-Star game at Three Rivers in Pittsburgh. I sat right behind Meatloaf. He sang the national anthem. He sat front row, first base dugout. I sat immediately behind him in the last row of the upper deck, section 542. We didn't get a chance to chat. These are good, right? Yeah, although I will say we got a lot of, hey, I was standing next to so-and-so at the urinal. Please, no, we don't do that. That's not the ones we're looking for. Uh, one more. Scott in Haymarket, Virginia. One October afternoon, I found myself boarding a fake boat on a pirate-themed ride in Florida. The fake boats are divided into two sections, and the group I belonged to was large enough to fill an entire section. As we waited for the other section to fill in, we were noting the scenery, the updates to the ride, since the popular set of movies had changed the face of this franchise, and the other minutiae around us. I caught a glimpse of one of the riders' profiles and immediately stopped paying attention to anything else the ride had to offer. For the next 180 seconds, I stared with intensity, barely blinking, trying to confirm what I thought I had seen. The ride ended, the man, two young adults appearing to be in their 20s, and two children in the six to nine-year-old range exited the ride with an escort wearing a special plaid vest. I left my friends and family behind like Michael Phelps snubbing Nigel and bolted through the gift shop for final confirmation. I frantically searched for what would be a backdoor exit to the ride and found a little hallway with a not well-publicized set of restrooms and what looked to be a back gate to a different part of the theme park. In the hallway, going to relieve himself in the bathroom was Sir Paul McCartney. 
As he was there with what appeared to be kids and grandkids enjoying his day, I resisted the urge to speak or request a photo. Instead, I just gave him a smile and a nod, making sure that he knew that I knew who he was, but left him to do his business in the not well-marked restrooms in this little hallway. This is my Flutie game. <laughs> if you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. I hate bananas. I hate pumpkins. I like olives. I hate squirrels. I hate watermelon. If I were a spaceman, you'd be my moon. I'd climb on my rocket with my sights set on you I'd soar through the stars and I'd race through the deep dark blue If I were a spaceman, you'd be
Thank you.